knees. Could we stand together in honor of God's word? First Samuel thirteen fourteen. But now your kingdom, this is Samuel speaking to Saul, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then Acts 13.22, the New Testament uh, comment on this. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And then Samuel comes to the house of Jesse. And the Lord says this, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word today. Lord, your heart, your heart is burning. I ask that you would mark each person that's in this service. Please, God, do something great, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let me say two things about orange before we get into the text, because I forgot to say them. First one is this. It is amazing, there's, there's 200 envelopes, 1 to 100, it's amazing that if everybody takes one of those envelopes, that we will meet the $8,000 to, to build this facility. I think that's amazing. I encourage everybody to take big envelopes. Here's why. After the third service tonight, I have to take the largest envelope that is left. So bail me out. Take a big envelope. The second thing, I'm a very competitive person, but I don't think we should be competing in church. I just don't, I don't feel good about that, but I really believe this service is going to beat the the first service. (laughs) I, I, I believe it. We've kept track of the first service. We're going to keep track of the second service, and next week we'll report who won. All right, so I've entitled the message, The Man After God's Own Heart. Point one, God found and promoted David in spite of people's opinions. So God comes to Samuel, and he says, when Samuel, when he, when, when Samuel first says, God's rejected you and he's found somebody after his own heart, he has no idea who that person is. Samuel's back praying. He's mourning over Saul and Saul's decisions. And God speaks to him and says, how long are you going to mourn? Arise from here, fill your horn with oil, and go to the house of Jesse. Because that's where you're going to find the next king. I have chosen one of Jesse's sons to be the next king, and you're going to anoint him. He's the man after my own heart. And so Samuel comes, and uh, 
And, and Jesse's got seven sons, strapping sons, all lined up. And we're going to find out which one is king. And Samuel gets to the first one. It's, his name is Eliab. He's the oldest son. And Samuel's like, well, this was easy. This is clearly the king. Surely, he says, the Lord's anointed stands before me. This guy looks like a king. And this is where God says, stop. You're looking at the outward. And I don't look the way man looks. Man looks at the outward. I look at the heart. David was not Samuel's choice. David was God's choice. Because God looks at the heart. Now, if you would just take a moment to think about this. It means that all of the things that disqualify us before man from being great don't disqualify us before God. Think of all the things that disqualify you before people. We're not handsome enough. We're beautiful enough. We're not rich enough. We're not strong enough. We're not uh, gifted enough. We're not smart enough. There's all kinds of reminders in our culture that we're not quite as good, smart, gifted, talented, charismatic as these other people. And so we're kind of, we're kind of second class. God, none, of, none of those things impress God. God, does, God is not impressed at how smart you are. For crying out loud, he gave you, he made you smart. He's not impressed that you're, you're really strong or you're really attractive. That's how he made you. You couldn't be other than that. God's looking at the heart. And so maybe only a few can be great in man's eyes, but everybody can be great in God's eyes. Everybody can great if we will focus on what God is focusing on. Samuel didn't choose David. God did. Secondly, we got Jesse. Jesse is so excited. He, one of his sons is going to be king. He has no idea which one it is. The only thing Jesse knows for sure is which one it's not going to be. Jesse has got his oldest seven sons lined up, but the runt of the litter is David. And all, all Jesse is convinced of is it certainly won't be him. So he's got Jesse out taking care of the sheep with the, with the servants. Samuel goes down the, the sons. God says, nope, 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 nope. Gets to number seven. It's got to be number seven. There's only seven. Nope. Same as could be. He looks over at David's like, it's nobody here. Do you got somebody? Do you know? You got another son? Oh, yeah. We got one out with a field. Samus says, listen, we're not even going to sit down to eat until you get him. That's the one God has chosen. Go find him. Jesse didn't choose David. God did. And then there's Eliab. Eliab is the oldest son. He's the most handsome, attractive, tallest. He's the one that Samuel thought was the guy. And, and, and Eliab is there, and he sees David get anointed. He sees the horn of oil. He sees all of this. 
Yet in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 17, him and his brother, his older, the older brothers are all at war. They're in Saul's army, and there is a, a giant named Goliath. And, and uh, the, the tradition at that time is, is you could have a champion. Instead of having two armies fight and have there be a lot of bloodshed, each army could have a champion, and there just, just be that would be the fight. Those two, and whichever army, whichever guy won, that whole army would win. And, uh, and Goliath is the Philistine's champion, and he comes out 40 days and 40 nights and says the same thing. He mocks God, he mocks God's people, and he says, send me, send me a champion. Send me somebody to fight me. Winner takes all. David's not even in the army. David is too young to be in the army. He, he gets sent by Jesse with the bread and the cheese to come to the line to get some food for his, his brothers. And when he arrives at the line with the bread and the cheese, he hears Goliath's taunt and he is angry. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to talk about our God in this way? And here's what Eliab says to him. Why have you come down here And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Well, thank you, Mr. Older Brother. Thank you for that affirmation. You know, you know your words mean so much to me, and I hang on every word, and you know you're my hero. And so you speaking that to me, wow, that's encouraging to me. <laughs> Sometimes family thinks it's their job to keep us humble. <laughs> Eliab didn't, certainly didn't choose David or promote David. He was God's choice. And then finally, there's Saul. After Goliath is killed, Saul's like, uh, this guy has got something. I'm going to, I could use him. He, he could be an asset. And so he promotes him to general and David starts fighting in the army and leading the army and, and good things are happening all over the place and until Saul hears a song that some of the ladies have written. And the song goes like this. The words of the song go like this. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul hears that, and he goes bonkers. He is like, whoa, 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 there is only one hero here, and it's me. I'm the king, I'm the main guy, and uh, David, I'm going to, uh, now I'm going to kill David. <laughs> I am going to kill him because no one can be greater than me, and he has this jealous spirit come on. So certainly Saul didn't choose him. God chose him. Here's the message to everyone here. You don't have to live for man's promotion. You don't have to work for man's promotion. But only God's. Psalm 75, 6 and 7. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man, but it is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. I remember when this became a life verse for me. Here's what happened. It's the mid-1980s. 
Alice and I are youth workers. I'm an investment broker in Madison at the time, and I'm a youth worker under Roger Olson. Roger Olson was the the youth pastor, and he was kind of, he was like this Samuel-type character. He, there was something about Roger. He was very prophetic, and he could see what was in you and, and encourage it and speak to it. And he pulls me a one aside one day, and, and he, just, he just says, you know, I, I could see you as a pastor someday. He says, in fact, I could see you on staff at this church. I, I, I could see it. And I, I, something, something witnessed to me about that. And I will never forget the youth group in those days because Cherie Milton and Debbie Hagland led worship. It was down in the fellowship hall. I will never forget these worship times because these kids were stone cold. They were just like, I dare you to try to get me to sing. And so Roger would introduce the worship time and, and poor Cherie and Debbie would get up there and start leading songs and it was, it was just cold. And, you know, it, it, they weren't bad kids. They just, they just weren't going to go that way. Well, then we got a new youth worker. His name was Joe Snikey. And Joe was cool. Joe had hair down to here. Joe had just enough of that grizzle on his face, the Tom Cruise, you know, half-shaven look. And Joe, there was no one more anointed on guitar and vocally. You talk about a crooner. Joe could just pick that thing up, and he could play any song, any key, any time, and, and... all of a sudden, it became cool to worship. And all the kids are entering in, and the whole feel of the youth group is, is different because Joe is, he's just cool, and he's just kind of made it cool to worship God. And, and uh, so we would have these events, and we were youth workers, so we would go along, and in the fall of 86, we're loading the bus. And... I get on the bus, and Joe's got a big smile on his face, and he's waiting for me. He said, you're, he said, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what? What happened? He said, Roger just told me that they're going to, they're going to put, put me on staff as a pastor. My heart sank. That was my spot. That was what I was, I, God, Roger told me that. I, that was supposed to be me. Here's what came out of my mouth. That's great. God must have something else for me. This is when Psalm 75, exaltation doesn't come from the east, doesn't come from the west, it doesn't come from the south, it comes from heaven. This is when it became very real. A couple months later, a man called the church named Wes Brayton from Grand Detour, Illinois. Population 500. And he said, we're looking for a youth pastor. And Roger, Roger knew about me, and obviously I'm one of his workers. And, and, and so he sets up this meeting with Wes. And so Wes uh, comes up here, and we meet together, and he says, I'd like you to come down 
and candidate. Now, I didn't know anything about church life or churches or how they worked, and I didn't know what candidating was. But apparently, it's kind of like you go down and you preach a sermon, and everybody decides whether they like you or not. That's how it works. And so, so Wes has me down, and I, I preach my heart out, and the next week he calls me and he says, uh, he says this, hey, good job, good job on Sunday. The people can't decide. Would you mind coming down again and preaching again? I'm like, and I don't know, maybe this is how it always goes. I'm like, sure, I'll come down again. So go down a second time. This time, right before I speak, Wes pulls me aside. He says, listen, last time you spoke, you were walking back and forth like this. He, he, he said some, some of the people didn't like it. It was distracting for some of the people. Would you mind just staying behind the pulpit this time? And I'm like, no problem. No, no problem. And so I stay behind the pulpit. Next week, Wes calls. Hey, good job on Sunday. He says, uh, 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 people... Son, we, 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 can't, we can't decide yet. Would you mind coming down a third time? <laughs> sure. Why not? So I go down there a third time preach. Wes pulls me aside right before the sermon. And he says this. Hey, remember last time I said don't walk around and I wanted you to stand behind the pulpit? He said, I don't know if you know you did this or not, but there was one of those microphones that's on this stand. And he said, he said you played with that thing the whole time last time. <laughs> He said, and it really irritated some of the people. He said, so go ahead and walk around. I've been walking ever since, folks. So I eventually became the youth pastor there, and it wasn't until later years, reflecting on it, that I realized what was going on. Here's what actually happened in the spirit world. They didn't want me to be their youth pastor. They didn't like me. I I don't blame them. I was very rough. I was one of these guys that might be wrong, but I was never in doubt. It was just, it was just, I was very blind to a lot of things. They didn't want me to be their youth pastor but they also wanted to please God, and God wouldn't let them say no to me. They didn't choose me. God did. Took a while. (laughs) Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door so that no one, that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Friends, when you are applying for a job, when you are applying for a position, do not leave it to man to decide your fate. 
You trust God. When you get a job, you're not working for man. You're working for God. Whatever you do, do with all your heart as to the Lord and not to man. And here's what God says. They can't, they can't hire you without my approval. Nor can they reject you without my approval. So you can have perfect peace at the interview. You don't have to impress them. Be yourself. Because God's going to open up a door no man can shut. And when you get a notice that says you didn't get it, you need to know this. They did not reject you. God shut a door that no man could open. You need to know there's something else for you, something God has that's better. Don't go into rejection. Don't go into self-promotion. And then this gracious, gracious word. God says, I know that you are weak. I know your weaknesses. I know what you struggle with. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hold the door until you get through it. I'm going to just keep that door open until you get through it. I, I allow for weakness in my kingdom. If you will trust me, if you will look to me, your weaknesses are not going to be in my way. I'll keep the door open until you get through it. Isn't that beautiful? Point two, why did God choose David? First, David delighted in God. This this was a new concept. People loved God. They did their duty before God. But the idea that somebody would delight in God, this starts with David. David shows us what God is actually after. He gives us this psalm, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You make your focus delighting in him, and he will transform your desires. He will give you his desires so that the very things you want are the things that he wants to give you. He will transform you. You make your aim delighting in God. This is the secret. Everybody else was kind of getting as little of God as possible. The people uh, before Moses said, why doesn't God speak to you and then you speak to us? Because we don't really want to be that close. We don't want to hear his voice. Listen to what David said. Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Everybody else doesn't want God to look too close. David said, look, come on, look, search me. Don't just look at the outward. Search my innermost person. Search me, know me, know my anxieties, know everything. God, I want to be close to you. I want your eyes upon me. And if you see anything in me that's offensive, then change me and lead me into the way everlasting. God, I just want to be near you. I want to be like you. I I want you to transform me. He loved God's word. Psalm 1-2, he writes, he says about the godly man, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. You can only meditate on something day and night if you delight it, delight in it. If it's just your duty, then you just have little set times. You don't want to think about it all the time. What we delight in, we do all the time. David, his delight was in listening to God's word. 
Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the whole Bible. It's got 176 verses in one chapter. And the whole thing is David gushing about the word of God. Every word, every verse has something about the word. God, I love your testimonies. I love your ordinances. I love your commands. I love your promises. I love your testimonies. God, I love your word. Uh, Lead me in your word. Teach me your word. Let me know your word. How does a a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. God, I want your word in me. And he loved to pray. Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart. Whatever state, you hear my cry. Whatever state my heart is in, you hear my cry. I'm exposed before you, and I just get to pour out whatever's there. And the Psalms are the record of David pouring out his heart. It's David is angry. David is sad. David is lonely. David is abandoned. David is frustrated. David is thankful. David is excited. At all times, at all times, David processes his emotions with God, and he just pours it out. Do you see why he's the man after God's own heart? He loved to tell God what was going on inside of him. Guys, we never have to have our best out for God. He knows everything. Pour it out. Pour it out. Why did God... Choose David first. David delighted in God. Secondly, God, David believed God. So here's what happens. After Eliab says what he says to David, somebody else goes to Saul and says, hey, there's a young guy here, and he says he's going to kick Goliath's butt. And Saul sends one. He says, I, I need to hear this, because nobody in the army, the army, the whole army's been out there 40 days, 40 nights, paralyzed in fear. This is the first time somebody said different than Goliath's too big, too scary. I won't fight him. I don't want to fight him. We got somebody saying something different. Saul says, I want to chat with him. Let's talk. And so here's what Saul says to him. Verse 33, chapter 17. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Guys, what's going on in this text? How can somebody change their mind in four verses? Saul says, not happening. You're too young. He's too experienced. It's not going to happen. David says a few comments, and Saul says, uh, go. What, what happened in those few verses? Well, we learned that there is a difference between believing in God and actually 
believing God. See, all the Israelites believe in God. Saul believes in God. But when real life required God to come through for them, they didn't believe God. They didn't believe God in the present. They just believed in God in some religious way, maybe on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, but they didn't, they didn't take God into everyday life. And when he saw living faith, when he saw somebody, that God wasn't just at, in the, on Sabbath and just in the sanctuary, that God was in real life and, and God killed the bear and God killed the lion And yeah, I was there, but the Lord delivered me. And that same God that delivered me is going to deliver me from the Philistine. I'll tell you what, something happened in Saul. See, when it starts, he thinks it's going to be Goliath against David. But by the time David's done, he realizes it's not going to be Goliath against David. It's going to be Goliath against God. See, that's what a living faith does. That's what a faith that doesn't just believe in God, but believes God. Believes God at work. Believes God for family. Believes God for finances. Believes God. Believes God. Believes God. When faith is exercised out there, when our identity is not in religion, where we believe in God and we're religious once in a while, but we're believing God, it's no longer you against the world. It's God against the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. All the world can throw at you. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Pastor Tom, you know, how? How do you get that kind of faith? You know, can God give me that kind of faith? Let me tell you the key. I'm going to tell you right now the secret to great faith. You ready? Here we go. Here is the secret to great faith. Psalm 18, 19. The Lord delivered me because he delighted in me. David's the first guy that ever said anything like this. That God doesn't just tolerate me or endure me. God delights in me. They, Israel realized God is very, very passionate, but all they had seen was the negative side. All they had seen was God's judgment and his severity because he was so passionate when they went into idolatry or they did something wrong. And well, I don't know why, but God cares a lot about what we do and what we think. And, and so that's all they had. They had only seen the negative side of passion. And David grabbed a hold of the positive side. Guys, this, this transforms your faith. When you see this is not about how much you can love God, it's about how much he loves you, how much he delights in you. David says in Psalm 91, verses 13 and 14, he, he says this not just to himself, but for all of us. If we can find that, if we can find that scripture, it's Psalm 91, 13 and 14. I think I've got it in a different point. He says, to the one who sets his love on me. To the one, God is speaking. He says, to the one who sets his love. One translation says, sets their affection on me. They, they have set themselves to love me, to delight in me. God says, this is what I'm going to do for them. I'm going to deliver them. 
I am going to rescue them in trouble. I'm going to be with them. I'm going to hear their prayers when they pray. I am going to satisfy them with long life. That's more than just you're going to live long. You're going to have satisfaction in your long life. I will show them my salvation. There is nothing I will not do. When someone on this planet makes me their delight sets their affection on me. There's nothing I won't do. Pastor Tom, you're asking a lot to believe that God delights in me. That is a, that's a big, big request. Why is, it, why is it so hard for us? to? Here's why. We know us. And we don't just know the outward. We know what we really are on the inside. We're not that impressed. We have bad attitudes, we remember our failures, we remember our sins, and we're, it's just really easy to think God tolerates me because he has to, because Jesus died for me, and I, I, you know, legally, I accepted Christ, and so I'm in. He's not happy about it, but I'm in. <laughs> I've told this story before, but because this point is so difficult for us to get into our mind, I want, you, I wanna, I wanna make it again. I'm gonna tell the story again. So there is a father who runs a a woodworking shop and he brings his son into the woodworking shop and says, son, you're you're now going to create something. And he takes this block of wood and the father shows the son how to craft it and how to make it. And he, this, this boy makes this boat that is, is made by his own hands. It's crafted by his own hands. He's, he stains it. He sands it. He, he puts a, the, the little sail on it. He, he, this is his boat. When he gets done with the boat, he, the father tells him, now turn it over and put your own initials in it because this is your son. You have created this. You have made this yourself. And so this, this boat becomes his most precious toy. He, he plays with it every day. He go, they live by the river and he lets the boat go in the river and goes downstream and picks it up. And, and, and at night he's got a special place for his boat because it's so special to him because it's his creation. And then one day tragedy hits. And while he's playing with the boat in the river, the wind takes it and, and, the, and it goes downstream and, and his heart is broken because he has lost his creation. But that next weekend, they go to the auction at the, at the next city down the river. And there, in amazement to the sun, is his boat. His boat is being auctioned off. He, he, he has to be sure, so he goes over to this boat. He holds it with trembling in his hands, and he turns it over, and there's his initials. Yet this is his boat. He goes back to his father, and he says, Father, whatever the price, this boat means more to me than it means to anybody else. Whatever the price, I will pay the price. And when he buys that boat, that boat becomes his twice. Once by creation and once by redemption. David says in Psalm 139 that God is the one that formed me in my mother's womb. Jesus delights in you. He made you the way you are. He gave you the personality you have. He loves what he made. He likes what he made. He, He has formed you. He has fashioned you. 
But tragedy has struck. Sin has come. And we've gotten away from God. The Bible says there's no one that does good, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. The, the, the wind of sin has taken us away. Some, it's taken us way away from God. And we've done horrible things and been horrible places and, and had thoughts that are, are completely, and we think somehow those thoughts and that sin, and we've gone so far downstream that God's not interested. Trust me. He's looking for you. He is looking for you. And he's already paid the highest price to have you back. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 too, that Jesus endured the shame and the hostility of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Do you know who that was? That's you. Jesus has paid the highest price to have you and I back. So, anybody want to see a miracle? Is anybody ready to see a miracle? All right, I'm going to tell you how you can see a miracle. All you have to do is Google IHOP prayer room. Kansas City prayer room. Just the prayer room. And what will come up is young people, mainly young people, Worshiping and praying. You could do it at any time of night. You can do it at 4 a.m., 3 a.m. You could do it on Christmas, Easter, anytime. Because there has been a prayer meeting going on in Kansas City for 18 years, 24 7. Started in 1999. It's been going for 18 years. And it's like, what? What? It must be all grandmas. I mean, no one has that much time to pray. No, it's mainly young people. It's mainly young people. They raise support to go down there and worship and pray. There's, there's 84 shifts of two hours every week. And they come in on two-hour shifts. You go anytime. There's a crowd down there, and they're worshiping and praying. And if you're ever in there, it, they're, just, they're just prayers from the Bible. It's just the Bible and worship. And God has raised up this David generation. It's amazing, 18 years, 24-7. But here's the untold story oftentimes. Mike Bickle's favorite, Mike, Mike Bickle is the leader down there, and his favorite verse and his vision verse, was, it's an intercessor's verse. It's from Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, that, that day and night cry out. Don't let sleep come to your eyes. Keep crying out until God makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And he takes that and says, until God makes the church, until God makes his people beautiful in all the earth, just keep crying out day and night, day and night. And so he, his goal was to go 24-7 but it's mid-90s. They're not 24-7. They're just having a few prayer meetings a day. And he has a dream. And in this dream, he is preaching at his church a one-word sermon. He goes to this side of the platform and he says, Hephzibah! And then he goes to this side of the platform and he says, Hephzibah! And then he gets to the pulpit and he says, Hephzibah, one word sermon. He wakes up, Hephzibah, oh my, I know Hephzibah, I know, I know, I, I've read about Hephzibah, I have no idea what it is, but I, Hephzibah, he, and he knows it's in Isaiah, he's, he's like, I've just got to, the only place he's sure it isn't is in Isaiah 62, because that's where his favorite verse is, 
So he checks every other book in Isaiah, and he can't find Hephzibah. So he finally gets out a concordance, and Hephzibah is in Isaiah 62. It's the verse right before his favorite verse. Here's what it says. No longer will they call you deserted or your name desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah. And your land, Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. And God spoke to him. And he said, they will never go 24-7 until their identity is that my delight is in them. Hephzibah means my delight is in you. That the engine of 24-7, to have the strength to go 24-7, the reward cannot be that God's going to answer prayer or God's going to send revival or all kinds of amazing things. The reward has to be in the room. They have to know I am delighted in them, that, that they have captured my heart. And so he, he spent a whole, I don't know how long, preaching on Song of Songs. Here's Song of Songs 4.9. Listen to this. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes and with one jewel of your necklace. God's affection, when somebody glances at him, it doesn't mean just that you're in church because sometimes you're in church and you're not glancing really at God. You're looking at the next door neighbor and wondering what they wore today. Most people wore orange today. When you're genuinely looking at God, one jewel of your necklace, necklace, that's the will, one decision of your will, we have no idea how we affect God. We ravish his heart. God is passionate. His delight is passionate. God's delight is in his people. If we're going to choose today to be a worshiper, it's going to start with knowing that. God's delight is in me. This is not difficult, folks. You know what's difficult? pleasing people what's difficult is you trying to be good enough for people and trying to get everything right just right and you get it just right and never they're really pleased and then all of a sudden they change their opinion of what they even wanted and now you're out of favor again god it's easy one glance one glance and you grab his heart i'm going to have the worship team come up now Choosing to be a worshiper today. Setting our affection on God. Listen, listen to what God said to the woman at the well, John 4, 23. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Guys, he's speaking to the woman at the well. She's been married five times. She's currently living with somebody that's not, she's not even married to. And Jesus is saying, God's seeking you. 
Second Chronicles 16.9, the eyes of the Lord seek to and fro over the whole earth. He's looking, he's looking for someone whose heart is completely his to show himself strong. God is looking. He's not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers. If he was just looking for worship, we'd put a CD on and go, all go out to McDonald's. And God would be happy because there's worship going. He's looking for you. He's looking for me. He's looking for someone that rises up and puts their delight in him. I came upon this kind of accidentally. I was an investment broker going to this church, MGT, and I learned something. No one told me it. I I just learned it from experience. They had a Sunday night service then that's different than our Sunday service now. Uh, the Sunday night service was different than Sunday morning. And so what, what I learned after a while is Sunday morning is for everybody that has to go to church, and Sunday night is for everybody that wants to go to church. You, you never, no one has to go twice. So you, the only people that came back, you really, really wanted to be there. And then I learned something else. That God came in tremendous grace and power at the end. I love Pastor Heckman's preaching, and I, but I was always waiting for that end because when it, when, it went, when it was done, we got to come to the altar and we got to wait on God and we would just, we would just be up there. Some people left, but, but others would just wait on God. And I remember the, the beauty of God. I, I just like, it. I could, could it get any better than this? I remember Julie Doby playing the piano, just leading in worship as if this is all she had going for the rest of her life. Went to Spencer Lake Youth Camp. Alice and I both did from 1984 to 1992 before we went to Faustin. And I learned something at Spencer Lake Youth Camp. Here's how the service goes. Great, anointed, funny speaker calls everybody to the altar. Kids all come up to the altar, cry, and then... When the pastor comes up and dismisses them to the snack shop, 95% of the people just get up and go to the snack shop. And you, you think they're going there to, to eat a snack? No, that's not, it's not about the snack. That's when you measure the opposite sex. That's when you decide who likes who and who. Anyway, that's what happened at the snack shop. How do we know that from the devotions a- afterwards? Everybody's talking. Anyway, um, but here's what I found out about the 5% the worship team would still play. And I knew once the big group left, this is when God was going to come. And I remember sitting at that altar till midnight. As long as they were playing, I was worshiping because God's presence became so real to me and so wonderful. And I felt like I had a secret that nobody else had. Like, could it get any better than this? God's eyes are searching today. I believe he's raising up a David generation. He comes to David, Psalm 27, in the midst of David desperately needing God to do something for him with his hand to deliver him out of this mess. And God comes to him and he says, Psalm 27, 8, David says, my heart has heard you say, seek my face. Seek not my hand, not what I could do for you. Seek my face. Come on, David. And David says, my heart, oh God. Your face, oh God, I will seek. 
And he gives the defining verse of his life in Psalm 27. It's verse 4. One thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, that I might dwell in the presence of God, that I might live in the presence of God. Everybody else visited. Everybody else would visit God for a little because you needed to to get God to reward you. So you'd visit God as little as possible. And David says, no, I don't want to visit. I want to dwell there. I want to dwell. This is what I'm giving my energy to, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord, that I might meditate in your temple on all of your ways. Could we stand together? So we still have eight minutes left. So there's eight minutes before we even have to go get our kids. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring the lights down. We're going to open up this altar, and you're certainly welcome to come to the altar. I hope somebody does, because I don't want to be the only one up here, but this whole sanctuary is going to be an altar. And I, and I want you to be with God. I want you to see that he's not, he doesn't tolerate you. He's not trying to get rid of you. You are his creation. You are his joy. You are the one he died for. And he wants you to know it's not too hard to serve God. No, no, it's very e- hard to satisfy him, but it's very easy to please him. One glance one glance of your eyes. And, and when the time comes, they'll say, get your kids. I want to encourage you. If you want to go down and get your kids and bring them back up and worship longer and just wait in the presence of God and worship in the presence of God and just be with him. Guys, I believe this is our destiny. Not just as individuals, but as a church. I believe God wants to reveal himself in great glory in these days. I, I believe him healing the sick and raising the dead, I, that's small stuff for God. It, once it's not us against the world and us against all these demons and it's God against them, it's over. It's like Popeye with the spinach. It's over. Once he gets the spinach, it's over. We just need to get, we need to set our sights higher than what God's going to do for me right now. We need to choose him. So, Father, in Jesus' name, not just as an individual, but certainly as an individual, but also as the pastor of this church, hearing what you're speaking to this church. Would you mark us today? Set us like a seal upon your heart, God. Let the fire of your presence burn away lesser things. But God's fire doesn't just get rid of the bad things. Lord, would you purify the good things in us? Make us like gold. Let that ember become a burning fire of delight in God, of desire for God. Lord, it says, Jesus said, Father, you're seeking for worshipers. Would you look down here right now, God? Here we are, God. We're in Madison. God, we're here. We're here. Search us, oh God. Search us, oh God. Know us. Try us. Test our anxious thoughts. And then lead us into your beauty and your ways that are eternal. 
please, Jesus. Here I am. Take me.